Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. We're coming to you this morning live from uh, Chuck McBride's home. Uh, a few of us have gathered here uh, of the leadership team just to have an opportunity to be able to reconnect a little bit. <coughs> uh, we continue to work uh, through the series of Into the Wilderness, uh, and we also continue to work through some of our uh, technical difficulties. Seems like each week the devil throws something new at us, and uh, Jeff Cook and Jeff Stout, Chris Kelly, uh, and I continue to work through those and do the best we can to produce this for you. Guys, um, I know that we're now 14, 15 weeks into this, and uh, who thought we would have been out of ceasefire this long, but uh, we're going to continue doing these broadcasts live each Thursday and hope you continue um, tuning in or looking at it uh, later on in the recorded session. Uh, I would like to encourage you to reach out to brothers who uh, may not be um, connected to someone else. Uh, we're trying to do that as members of the leadership team to those that uh, have participated regularly. And we just like to ask that you uh, reach out to maybe somebody who's sat close to you nearby. Just check on them, see how they're doing. Uh, these are tough times and, and we know guys are struggling. Um, we will continue to meet like this uh, until we feel that it is safe for us to meet back in Ceasefire's building uh, until they allow us back in. So just continue logging on. If you're joining us and you don't have the notes, look just above uh, this video and you'll click the link there to download the notes. Chris Kelly does a great job preparing those for us every week and we certainly thank him for that. With that, let me open this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here on this patio, we thank you for the men that are here. We thank you for the families that are represented. We thank you for those that are tuning in live. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless this, uh, this message, uh, continue to bless these efforts of these men uh, in putting out something that is uh, manna to each man and to each family represented and those that, that log on. Lord, we thank you for Phil and his continued uh, efforts in, in uh, preparing material each week. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I feel a little bit like I'm on drugs. Uh, I'm not on drugs, uh, but I am stimulated because I'm with my brothers, uh, and I'm not uh, by myself speaking into a camera. Uh, so being the extrovert that I am, um, I love uh, being with my brothers here on Chuck's um, um, patio and uh, we even have a lady uh, in the group uh, Mary Allen Chuck's wife got up to greet us this morning I told her she's a lot different than my wife because I guarantee my wife wouldn't get up to greet a bunch of men on a, on, on a Thursday morning but uh, guys I'm delighted uh, that we can be together um, in uh, this setting so thank you for tuning in and uh, being with us this morning um, as we um, begin our session and the session is entitled, um, A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words. And as we go through our session this morning, you'll understand why I've entitled it uh, that way. And in much the same way that we would look at a picture in order to see um, a greater reality, uh, the song that I want to play for you was a song that was written by Helen uh, Lemmel in 1922. And what's interesting about Helen Lemmel's song is it became the song for the Keswick um, conferences, and that was like um, uh, Billy Graham conferences back in the 20s and 30s, uh, an incredible movement of God. 
and this was the theme song um, uh, for uh, one of the conferences, uh, one of the years. And Helen Limmel came to write this song when uh, uh, Elias Trotter had written a pamphlet 20 years earlier. And um, she wrote a, a missionary um, pamphlet called Focused. And Helen Limmel was so inspired by it um, that she sat down and wrote the words out to a song um, that has turned out to be Turn Your Eyes on, uh, Upon Jesus. And I've just included the uh, chorus um, on your notes. So I pray that you hear the voice of God. Um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh, his 
Amen. Amen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue our series and our reality into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of our lives. Pick up your notes and follow along with me as we read our introductory paragraph again. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. Amen and amen and amen. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it or ears to hear it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis and since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. And if that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. So a picture, a picture is worth a thousand words. And we'll see from the passage that we look at um, this morning that God gives uh, us a picture to help us understand a greater reality. So before we dig into our passage uh, out of Numbers, pick up your pen, I have three questions for you, and let's go to work. Engage deliberately. First question that I would ask you is what reminds you of what is most valuable to you? Now think about that for a minute. What reminds you of what is most valuable to you. Um, I don't carry a wallet anymore. I used to carry a wallet years ago, as, as we all did at some point. Now, I have a smartphone in my back pocket. <laughs> um, but years ago, you know, most of us had pictures um, of our family um, in our wallets. Um, pictures in our office that, sh that helps us to remember and be reminded our, of our families 
that we're um, so committed to. What, what do you use around you that helps you to be reminded of that which you value? And most all of us have those things. Well, I have something this morning um, that I want to show you, and it kind of helps to illustrate what we're talking about this morning in our passage. But I have a, I have a reveal. So uh, most of you that know me or have been to deer camp and fish camp and been around for a while, even, um, even have been in the C-Spire uh, building, uh, will recognize Duke. And uh, I had to put Duke down um, a few weeks ago, and um, I have uh, written a goodbye letter to Duke and been in a season of grief, but uh, this is simply a painting that a friend of mine uh, said uh, when he found out that uh, we'd put, had to put Duke down, he said, send me a picture. And I didn't even know he painted. And, uh, I mean, that's how, I, that's how good I knew my good friend, you know. <laughs> and um, he uh, sends this to me. And uh, Carla, my wife, she's, al she's also an artist. And um, first thing she said when she saw this painting, man. Well, she didn't say man. I, I said man. She, she said, he captured the eyes. He captured the eyes. And this, is, this, this is amazing. And uh, I have to tell you this story, and I, and I hope Mr. Jimmy uh, is watching this. And uh, I told this story uh, years ago at Ceasefire, but I'm, but I'm going to tell it uh, again this morning. Uh, one summer, when it was really hot, um, um, I was, we, we had a leadership meeting at noon or something um, in the building. And um, I, I didn't want to leave Duke in the car, and so I asked uh, John Norton if I could bring Duke into the building. And so uh, we asked the guard, and the guard cleared it, and, and so I was bringing uh, uh, um, Duke in the building, and uh, one of the guys um, who is uh, uh, um, a friend of mine who uh, worked at Ceasefire, he comes out of the building, I hadn't seen him in a while, and we're talking and all that, and of course, I've got Duke on a leash, and I'm bringing him in the building, and we exchange, hadn't, hadn't seen you in a while, good to see you, and all that sort of thing. And, and so I start to walk off, and he looks, and he says, um, oh, um, is that Mr. Creekmore's dog? And I had, a, I, I had, to, I had to make a quick uh, uh, decision. And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Because in his mind, I guess, the only dog that would be allowed in the building was Mr. Creekmore's dog. And so I was taking care of Mr. Creekmore's dog that morning. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Jimmy, uh, for letting me uh, keep your dog uh, for a while. But um, I'm pretty proud of that painting, and you know I'll hang it in my office, and we'll get a print made of it and put the print um, up at uh, Ebenezer Place. But that painting, this painting will remind me of something that has brought great joy to my life for 12 years, the 12 years that I had Duke. And, and again, you guys know that know me that he's, he's been my shadow. But we have pictures, we have objects that help remind us of that which is valuable. What reminds you of what's valuable? Second question that I would invite you to consider is how are you engaged in the fight 
to keep what is valuable to you. How are you involved in, in the battle? I mean, we are in a battle. And my goodness, uh, if you didn't realize you're in a battle uh, before the pandemic, uh, you know, turn on the news, watch it five minutes, don't watch it any longer than that. Uh, but my goodness, it is crazy uh, because we are in a fight for so, for so many things. I'm reminded in, in this context of a quote that's attributed to, to Ben Franklin and he, uh, the uh, tradition goes, and, and uh, I've, I've read mixed uh, reviews of whether that this really happened, but the report was is that a prominent socialite in Philadelphia, um, as the um, 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 uh, Congress w was meeting there in Philadelphia, and I've been in that center, Independence Hall, uh, many times uh, when I lived in Philadelphia, she yelled out and she asked him, Dr. Franklin, do we have a republic or a monarchy? And his reply was, a republic if you can keep it. If you can keep it. Um, whether he said that or not, and again, as I say, it's, it's uh, disputed in, 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 in some history. It's a powerful thought that's very timely. If you can keep it. What are we really fighting for? What are you fighting for in your own life now? And the passage we're looking at uh, today uh, will help us get focused. If you can keep it, what are you fighting for? And then the third question, who do you know that's in the wilderness now? Me and you. We all are. We're all in the wilderness. So let's journey together. And I'd invite you to um, pick up your Bible and uh, let's look at another episode in Numbers uh, chapter 21. And uh, Jeff will throw it up on the screen, of course, uh, those of you that are watching. But Numbers uh, is a book, again, that's uh, part of the history of the, of, of the wilderness uh, journeys of the children of Israel, of course. And um, Numbers is, is interesting in that um, there's, a, there's a number of stories, number uh, of stories in Numbers. Uh, and it's really a, a, a fun read, though we don't often refer to it, because uh, there are episodes in the uh, wilderness wanderings that are not included um, in the other books, of course. And these stories help us understand um, the redemptive uh, uh, history, the, the redemptive path that God was taking the children of Israel on. And these stories are meant to be told and have been told um, uh, for hundreds of years now to give us an idea of, of the theological truths that we hold to. But it's easier to remember a story and understand a story than it is a whole list of theological truths. Here's the story, Numbers 21. The Canaanite king of Arad, ruling in the Negev, heard that Israel was advancing up the road to Atherim. He attacked Israel and took prisoners of war. Israel vowed a vow to God, if you will give this people into our power, we'll destroy their towns and present the ruins to you as a holy destruction. Now again, generally, I, I think uh, the wilderness wanderings is the children of Israel just wandering in the desert, crying for food and water, 
uh, grumbling and mumbling uh, the whole time. But again, they were engaged um, in battles, even in the wilderness, not after they uh, crossed over the promised land and started to clean out uh, the uh, cities and towns um, in the promised land. So here's an episode of war. And so God listened to Israel's prayer and gave them the Canaanites. They destroyed both them and their towns, a holy destruction, and they named the place Horma, holy destruction. And you would think at that point, man, they're just locked in. God protects us. Battle. Uh, we're good to go. Let's just keep trusting God. He's given us a great victory. Mm, no, that's not what happens. Listen to this, verse 4. They set out from Mount Hor along the Red Sea Road, a detour around the land of Edom. The people became irritable and cross as they traveled. Now just underline that or think about that for a minute. The people became irritable and cross. I mean, really, guys? I mean, really? You know, it's kind of like going on vacation, like when you got the, uh, uh, the, the, the minivan full of kids in the back seat and you're 30 minutes from the house, and they're already fighting with each other. It's like, really? I mean, I'm taking you to the beach. Really? I mean, it's like, really? Yeah, really. They spoke out against God and Moses. Why did you drag us out of Egypt to die in this God-forsaken country? No decent food, no water. We can't stomach this stuff any longer. Complain, complain, complain. Guys, even in our couples workshop, and this comes to my mind, even when we're working with couples, and Carla and I do our couples workshop, one of the first things that we establish early on in that work, two-day workshop is all blame and criticism must stop. Just stop it. Well, yeah, well, yeah but, I, but I want him to change. Okay, that's cool. No, nothing wrong with that. But all blame and criticism must stop. It's a whiny, childish, immature way to handle difficulty. Stop. Kids, if you don't stop that complaining right now, I'm going to turn this minivan around, and we're going back to the house. We're not going to the beach. You know, that sort of thing. Verse 6. So God. I love that in the message. So God. Uh-oh. Here it comes. Here it comes. So God sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them, and many in Israel died. How'd you like to throw a bunch of poisonous snakes in the back seat of that minivan? And see what happens. <laughs> That's kind of what God did. <laughs> he, he threw snakes in the back of the minivan. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke out against God and you. Pray to God. Ask him to take these snakes from us. Wow. I mean, they complain, and God brings judgment to them. And then they asked uh, Moses if he will pray. And Moses prayed for the people, and God said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a flagpole. Whoever is bitten and looks at it will live. A picture is worth a thousand words. So Moses made a snake of fiery copper and put it on top of a flagpole, and anyone bitten by a snake who then turned, who then looked at the copper snake, lived. Wow. 
Guys, um, so much of this passage teaches us somehow how a snake points us to Jesus. How a snake points us to Jesus. And um, if you think about that for a minute, how a snake points you to Jesus. First of all, we would say that God will punish, or we might even say that as loving a God, uh, as loving as God is, He will bring punishment or judgment to sin. And whether it's blame and criticism uh, or rebellion, that which is in our heart, um, God will bring punishment and judgment, and He did. God punished their impatience and lack of faith by sending snakes into the camp. Um, And yet, at the same time, um, God never walks away from his people, and he'll always make a way. God always makes a way. There's salvation. And, and, And God could have easily just spoken snakes be gone just as he spoke snakes be there god had that power anyone bitten by a serpent would be healed by the creative nature of god of him putting a bronze serpent or having moses putting a bronze serpent on a pole now here's the question that i would ask you to consider just in our time why didn't God heal the people directly? Why didn't he do that? Why, why didn't he just say, okay, I, I, I hear you, Moses. I hear your cry. I hear the people's cry. I'll heal you. No, what he did is he enacted a means in which they could be saved, but they would have to trust that. And I would just offer you this statement that I learned years ago, and I would invite you to, uh, to underline this on your notes or write it down. Symbol is always greater than reality. Symbol is always greater than reality. You fight with your wife over symbolic things. You know, it's like dirty dishes in the sink. Sweetheart, it's just dirty dishes. No. You know what that is? That is a uh, childhood wound in her. It certainly is in my wife, and there's a whole story that we tell about that. I just thought it was dirty dishes. No. It was my wife growing up with an alcoholic mother. Uh, that yelled at her when she when she saw dirty dishes in the sink. So I left dirty dishes in the sink. I said, sweetheart, you know, goodness, I'm busting my butt. I'm out here working. I'm trying to provide you and the girls. You know, get over it. Of course, I didn't say that. That's what I was thinking. I went, I'm not that stupid. But it's like, no, it's not dirty dishes. What you see is symbolic of a deeper reality. You might say, oh, that's just canvas and acrylic and somebody's artistic ability oh yeah that's a that's a really cool picture no no that's not the symbol is greater than the reality the reality is it's just a painting the symbol is that was my 12-year companion that I'm still grieving over I mean when I see that my heart is moved I mean when I open this up on Sunday night on Father's Day, I wept. 
It's a painting. No, it's not a painting. It's my companion. And God gave the children of Israel a snake on a pole. But they had to see something deeper, and he wanted them to see something deeper. See, the idea, once again, is that God was inviting them to trust him. Faith. God had the power to reverse the effects of the snake. But the healing came with one condition, that the Israelites had to exercise faith in his offer. Will you trust that? Yeah, we'll put that snake up over there, and you can look over here if you want to. But the only way you're going to be healed is you trust God's provision. It's the gospel. It was a preview of coming attractions. A snake can lead us to Jesus. Isn't that wild? I mean, all through Scripture, God will use different symbols. A snake, um, a serpent, is what brought all hell into reality. And then God turns around in numbers and uses a snake as a picture of Jesus. A lion. I, I've always used the, si the sign of a lion. But on one hand, you know, it's the line of Judah, and on the other, uh, the line is described uh, as Satan, as a roaring lion seeking to devour that which is his. So, you know, it can be used either way. Faith. But what is required is that we repent and believe. We repent and believe. Repent means that we decide to go a different direction. Kids in the backseat of the minivan say, I'm sorry, Daddy. Uh, we'll behave. Thank you for taking us to the beach. Um, I, I, I sat with a mother this week uh, who has a 10-year-old son. And she's working beautifully, really working hard to get her son to behave. And he'll say, I'm sorry. Once she corrects him, He'll say, I'm sorry, but she said, but nothing's changing. I said, well, I said, to put it in biblical terms, there's no repentance. He's sorry, but there's no consequence. I said, you're doing a great job of teaching him, but if you don't bring some degree of consequence, there's going to be no change. There's no repentance. You can say, I'm sorry, all day. A husband can say, I'm sorry. A, a wife can say, I'm sorry. Kids can say, I'm sorry. But God calls us to repentance. You know, you're headed east. I need to go west. You're headed south. I need to go north. 180 degree turn is what repentance is. And then, and then to walk by faith, to believe this is the way. Repent and believe. Again, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture gives us a greater sense of reality. I want to show you a picture of what happened in the camp um, with Moses. It's not an exact picture, but I think it's like this. And again, it comes out of the Band of Brothers. We, we've been using this Band of Brothers uh, deal as kind of our case study and as our illustration. And um, man, I, 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 mean, I, be, I, I have wept in these last uh, uh, scenes of Band of Brothers. And this is um, when they come upon um, a horrific scene, and they don't even know what it is. 
because at that time they weren't aware that this kind of stuff was going on. And the pictures that you're going to see, you'll recognize what this is because you know history. I think what you're going to see in this clip is much like what Moses and the people in the wilderness were going through. What if a bronze serpent was put up in the camp and they could look at that and be healed? See this scene and even see Moses' experience in a deeper way. Leave God. Leave God. Lift it. Yes, leave God. Yes, sir. Leave God. Leave God. Leave God. Major needs you up front right now. Sure. All right, boys. These people need care. Give them water and any spare rations you might have. Grab me some blankets, quick. Oh, my God. Dick? Jesus, Webb, can you believe this place? They burned some of the hots first. Well, the prisoners still in them, sir. Alive. Jesus Christ. Some of the prisoners are trying to stop. Some of them were killed. They didn't have enough ammo for all the prisoners, so they killed as many as they could. Before they left the camp. They locked the gates behind them and headed south. All right. So... Um, horrific scene of a concentration camp in World War II. I think in many ways that must have been like what the children of Israel were experiencing um, in the um, venomous snakes. They were dying and crying out. God gave the children of Israel a picture of what he intended to do 
through Jesus. I want you to turn over to John chapter 3. In this passage, the story of Moses comes up in a conversation between a Jewish rabbi, Nicodemus, and Jesus. And in the early part of John chapter 3, um, Nicodemus comes um, and asks Jesus the question. Um, um, as they get into the dialogue, um, how can I be born again? I want you to look with me at, at verse 9, and then we'll move down to verse 10. I, I think I told Chris to start at verse 10. I'm going to start at verse 9. Nicodemus asks in verse 9, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? And Jesus is talking about being born again. And so Jesus said, you're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things, these basics. Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. I'm not making this stuff up, as Jesus says. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. Boy, I'm telling you, I have been in situations to where have you ever been in a situation, and I certainly have, where somebody's asking you questions, and they don't really want to know? You know, it's like they're trying to trip you up. Uh, they're, they're buying time. And, man, I'm telling you, when I, when I start uh, discerning that that's what's going on, I get angry. I think Jesus was somewhat angry here. He's, he's confronting Nicodemus. If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face, and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of things you can't see, the things of God? It's like, Nicodemus, do you really want to know? And, and, then, and then utilizing what he knew that Nicodemus knew, which would have been uh, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, Jesus points him back to a picture that Nicodemus knew very clearly. He had seen this picture in his mind's eye many times. Now listen to what Jesus says. No one has ever gone up into the presence of God except the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man. Now listen to this. In the same way, in the same way that Moses lifted the serpent in the desert so people could have something to see and then believe, See it and believe it. It is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up, and everyone who looks up to him, trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. Now, guys, I don't know what Nicodemus felt at that moment, but because of other evidence that we have of Nicodemus, and, I, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute, I think something happened in Nicodemus's heart at that moment. When I read that, something happens inside my skin, in, in my heart. There, I, I leap with joy because I know that that serpent, the bronze serpent on a stick, was pointing me toward Jesus. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his only son, and this is why, so that no one would be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And then he goes on. I'll let you read the rest of the passage. Wow. What does it mean, this whole idea 
snake on a stick pointing us to Jesus invites us later on into being born again. What does it mean to be born again? Guys, it simply means this, that all of my faith in any hope for my sins being covered and being forgiven and having eternal life is centered in my trust on the object that God has provided, and his name is Jesus. That's what it means to be born again. I simply put all of my faith in God's provision. No work on my part other than to look, to look upon the serpent, if you will, the picture, Jesus. Repent and believe and you'll be saved. You must be born again. You must put all of your faith in that object, just as the people of Israel, the children of Israel, only had one hope of being healed from the venomous snakes, and that is to look upon the object, to look upon Jesus. That's what it means to be born again. Now, here's the deal. How do you know if somebody's been born again? How do you know? How do you know? Look at what happened with Nicodemus, and turn over to John chapter 19. This is amazing. We don't often talk about this, but wow, we should. Uh, Jesus is crucified. Uh, again, he is, he is a snake on a stick, if you will. Uh, he is uh, God on a stick. Um, and look what happens when he's put in the tomb. John chapter 19 says this, verse 38. After all this, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he was intimidated by the Jews, petitioned Pilate to take the body of Jesus. Pilate gave permission, so Joseph came and took the body. Listen to this. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus at night, came now in broad daylight, carrying a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. And they took Jesus' body and following the Jewish burial custom, wrapped it in linen with the spices. There was a garden near the place he was crucified and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been placed. So, because it was Sabbath preparation for the Jews and the tomb was convenient, they placed Jesus in it. Guys, this doesn't say concretely and detailed like listening to somebody's testimony that Nicodemus uh, was changed. But my goodness, <laughs> it's circumstantial evidence. I guess he could be prosecuted, uh, to put it in kind of lawyer terms. It's like he didn't even come in, uh, in, in, in at night the way it says Joseph of Arimathea did. He came in broad daylight, exposed himself to warning the body of Jesus. My, my point is this. How do you know that somebody is born again? And I would say this is a changed life. Changed life. My life was forever changed years ago when I surrendered to Jesus and I acknowledged that I could not clean my life up, that my only hope was to simply raise my hands in surrender and cry out, I can't. I can't. Not I can. I can't. I can't do it. 
And so my only hope is just like the children of Israel looked at a bronze snake on a stick that we look at God's Son, Jesus, and it changes our heart. We have no other hope. And so I'm born again and I'm changed. And then it's, it's a dance. It's a dance. From then on, it's a dance. It's not a sprint. Um, it's a dance. And um, this, is, this is where I would direct you to my good friend Bob Flayhart. Bob Flayhart uh, is a dear friend. He was a fraternity guy at Penn State University when I was there on staff with Campus Crusade. And, and Bob came to the Lord through our ministry. And uh, he is now a pastor at Mountain Brook uh, Presbyterian, uh, Oak Mountain over in Birmingham. And he's on the board at Covenant Seminary, uh, Dr. Bob Flayhart. I've known him ever since he was an idiot fraternity guy. And I keep reminding him of, of that. But Bob has uh, taken this passage out of Numbers 21, and he wrote his thesis, uh, his doctoral thesis, on this idea of the gospel being reduced from Numbers 21 to three pieces. Repent, repent, believe, and fight. And I don't have the time to really develop uh, Bob's thoughts on this, uh, but he's done a beautiful job. You can Google it, and there's all kinds of material on it, but I'm giving you just a summary there in your notes. Repent. It's like, in order to repent, you need to acknowledge your sin. I mean, isn't it interesting that God gave the children of Israel this experience of poisonous venom in their bodies that was killing them? Is that not the picture of sin in our life? You're not aware of it, you can't see it, but you're dying, you're dying. It is like being bitten by a snake, and the poison is in your body, and if we don't get you some help, you're going to die. And so there needs to be repentance, which is uh, the idea of acknowledging and then turning and this is where we do such a poor job. I've done a poor job in my own ministry of, of teaching the idea of repentance. It's like, guys, it's not about being sorry. It's about changing direction. And in order to change direction, what you're going to need is to believe. And what it means to believe is to appropriate the blood of Jesus, the power of the gospel, and I walk by faith. Every morning, in, 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 while I've been in this quarantine, as I've said to you, I've, I've gotten back to the basics myself, making sure that I, that I, that I uh, have my uh, 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 quiet time and I'm journaling. And in my journal, what I keep doing is I go to a, to a second step in my journaling, and I, and I write shift. And what I mean by shift is what I need to stop and what I need to start. And every morning, shift means stop my worry and my anxiety and start believing in the power of God, walk by faith, and trust Him on this day. And I've written that a <laughs> hundred times. It doesn't change. I need to believe God. And then 
finally to realize I'm going to have to fight. Ephesians chapter 4 is very clear. I don't have time to read that passage, but it's Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. It's like you, you, you've got to realize that there is an old man in you, and though you are healed, ultimately, there is a fight between an old man and a new man, uh, the flesh um, and the spirit. And there is a fight that goes on in me every day, as it does you. It's not easy. There is a fight in order to follow God. We're at war. And my goodness, as I said earlier, if you can't figure that out, even in our country right now, uh, then, then you have your head stuck in the sand. So I would just say this. A picture is worth a thousand words. What do you see when you close your eyes? I see Jesus on a stick. And it is by the power that God has given that frees me to be who he intended me to be as I look to the cross and I am healed. Repent, believe, fight. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for, goodness, uh, the snake on a stick. And um, I love the story. I love the picture. Thanks for giving it to us this morning. May we fight on in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.